Waldron and Kippelman. Uh, uh, wait a minute. What? Look who's back. Look who's joining us. Oh, for you Patreon subscribers. And we certainly do appreciate it. The rest of you sons of bitches that haven't given us $5. No, you knew that on part of the Patreon episode, Barry Rose had some laryngitis. Barry, how are your laryngetical issues? My laryngetical issues. That's a, that's a new word I just made up right there. I, I love it. I love it. So I am I'm obviously feeling a lot better. It was tough. And uh, look, we'll break kayfabe. I, yes, I finally caught COVID. I joined. Uh, Fizze, the, Fizze, brother. Right. I joined the rest of uh, the world and I had COVID. And uh, it was a, I would say, a, a brutal four or five days right there. But I am on the mend. We are, and this is the first time in the history of the show, Jeff. We are a live sitting, remote location. Yeah. We are about uh, Jeff currently, and Jeff usually in Georgia, me usually in Plymouth meeting PA. Jeff right now is about two feet away from me. We are in beautiful Lutz, Florida. We are at a table. We are recording this show. Boy, Jeff, this is exciting doing it right next to each other. I look damn good. I just got to <laughs> thank you so much. So before we begin, let me, since I know she's a listener, yes. let's give a big shout out to our sister of the brothership, Linda, who I understand, Barry, did a pretty stellar job taking care of you during your little downtime. She did. You know, look, there, there's a lot of uh, and I've obviously been through an emotional ringer over the last couple of years. But uh, I did, and that's just our relationship, by the way. That's you know, exactly exactly. But uh, I, I had covid. I was in bed for several days. And Linda, uh, who hopefully is listening currently, actually came what up, Linda. And she took care of me. She literally took care of me, put herself at risk. Uh, and took care of me for, for three days. And that's a big thing, Jeff, when somebody you're not even married to, somebody who's just a girlfriend. And when I say just a girlfriend, I think she's more than that. But she really put herself at risk, took care of me. And I'm happy to say I'm sitting here next to you in Lutz, I think, because of the care given by Linda. Okay, I think the brothership now needs to know, because we we offer up all these things about each other, truths, all our health issues, family issues. Linda, she took care of you. Barry. The brothership wants to know, was there any any wiping that occurred? Is that how far she went taking care of it? <laughs> so <laughs> Oh, Linda knows him on a whole new level now. Oh, was yeah. there pegging involved? I'll just yeah, ask well, that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Who was doing the pegging, right? Exactly. But no, yeah. uh, no, there was no pegging and or wiping involved. Okay. Oh. We but, still appreciate her and all her hard work. Absolutely. So on this episode, episode 244, Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry, the three best friends you didn't know you, maybe, maybe four, Linda, maybe it could be in, in quartet now. Absolutely. On this particular episode, Barry, we are going to, oh, we haven't been to Mempho in a while. We're talking April 25th, 1981. Barry Rose, do you know in 244 episodes, we've never done the fucking empty arena match. Can you friggin' believe that? We've never done. I know we've talked about it. Yeah, though, what right? the hell, man? So we are in, oh, the majesty of Terry Funk. You know, I told Barry earlier, because we talk in text more than people know, I was talking about this match, and I said, you know, if anyone ever questions whether or not Terry Funk is not just an all-time legend, but, like, literally, like, top three, top five of all time, watch this fucking match, because the performance that he puts on is absolutely mind-blowing there. 
It really is, too. And Terry Funk, look, when you do talk greatest of all time, there are certain names that have to come up. They're obviously Flair, Terry, Gordy. But I remember years ago, I was talking to the professor, Pete Letterberg, and we were talking about wrestling fans and this great debate at the time. Greatest of all time, Terry, Gordy or Ric Flair. And Pete looks me dead in the eye and says, I tell you, you have the wrong Terry. Professor, so knowledgeable. So besides that, we're going to be offering up some Florida man or not. See, this is the first time I'm ever going to do Florida man or not with Barry right next to me, looking at my little cheat on my phone. So <laughs> hopefully he's not looking besides that. Oh, Barry, I'm going to tell the folks the story about my wallet and what happened with that. Uh-oh. And we're going to be talking about one of Barry Rose's all time favorite movies because we have a review sent in from a listener on the big Lebowski. Barry, is it ever a good time to talk about the big Lebowski or never, or, or is it a bad thing? No, no. I, I think that's something we could do 24 hours a day, Jeff. We could talk about Lebowski. And the funny thing is like Linda, who has only seen the movie once I'm you just, trying you just to like mentioning her name a lot. Don't you? I, I do. Linda, and I'm trying to get her more into the movie to understand it. But I, I all the time will just rattle off lines from this movie, it, you know, we're watching TV. We're watching Seinfeld. I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's a Lebowski reference. And somehow I can weasel in a reference no matter what. Okay. So since we brought up Linda again, and by the way, Barry, this is officially going to be the Linda episode. Okay. Uh, tell the story about Linda and members of the Brothership reaching out to her now that her name has been revealed. Go ahead and tell the story. Yeah. So I, uh, I, when Linda encouraged me and said, you know, I, I would really like if you would mention my name as, as opposed to saying the young lady that I, I'm seeing or dating, whatever it is. And I said, absolutely. But realize that uh, people are going to be reaching out to you and, and they'll be looking to Facebook friend you. And she's kind of private, kind of, you know, doesn't really have a lot of Facebook friends. And she always says, if I don't really know somebody, I don't want to, I don't want to be Facebook friends with them. And uh, I mentioned her name and I think she's gotten something like 30 friend requests at this stage. So, and without mentioning any names in particular, I will say, well, what about this person? And Barry said, first person that reached out to her. <laughs> so you, the listener will have to figure out who exactly we were talking about there. Barry Rose, why don't we talk off? Uh, let's start off with, let's talk a little big Lebowski, my man. What do you think about that? So I want to thank our friend Jason who sent us in a big Lebowski I had never seen who the hell has never seen the big Lebowski. That's in our group, Barry. What the hell is that about? Yeah, that, that should be one of those when we, we asked questions when you want to join the Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry group. And on that note, if you're not a member of the group, you're missing out. It's an extension of what we do here on a weekly basis and then twice a month with the Patreon episode. But uh, the Big Lebowski should be one of those questions. Have you ever seen it? Do you get it? Do you understand it? Then you're one of us. All right. So since you are Mr. Big Lebowski, do you want me to hand you? Jason's review, or do you want me to do it? No, I want you. Okay. I want to hear the well, I, I appreciate you deferring to the host. Of course. Remember, you're the co-host. I'm the host. So, Jason has this to say. Well, I watched it this morning while at work. Here's what I have for you. First of all, thank you to the host. See? He said me first, Barry. Thank you to the host oh, and co-host <laughs> for the opportunity to review a movie for the podcast. Grateful to be a small part of the festivity. You're a very small part. I mean, like, infinitesimal part of the festivities that said the movie I am reviewing is the classic big Lebowski. Now this movie came out in 1998 and has achieved a cult following an iconic status 
among movie buffs. For me, this is the first time I've ever watched the film. Again, Barry, stunning. Uh, let's see here. I may be the last living person on the planet with access to electricity and running water that has not seen this movie. That is a very valid point, Jason. And uh, I, I think we give a, a point to Jason on that. What do you think? Yeah, I think. Uh, okay. Check. Okay, thank you. I enjoyed the movie. The characters were, for the most part, interesting. The best part about the dude for me is that he is who he is. Uh, he doesn't try to be anyone else but himself. After watching Barry, the the TV show, not Barry Rose, almost nonstop for the past week. By the way, uh, do you watch the show, Barry? That's one of my favorite shows, Jeff. You like it? Okay. So thumbs up to Jason for mentioning that. Uh, this that is almost nonstop for the past week. That is refreshing. Also, the role was perfectly cast. I can't think of another actor who could have played the part better than Jeff Bridges. John Goodman is terrific as the unhinged Vietnam vet. I can get you a toe, Barry. Uh, and I love how irritated the dude gets with him whenever he sticks his nose in the dude's business and makes a mess out of things. That said, the movie didn't blow me away. Uh-oh. Oh. I believe oh. Jason is now out of the brothership as we speak. I may have now seen four Cohen. What do you think of this, Barry? I have now seen four <laughs> Cohen brother films, and this definitely ranks fourth on the list of favorites oh wait a minute, wait a minute behind fargo good movie oh brother where art thou good movie and no country for old men good movie. still i did like the movie even though i think i will have to watch it more than once to actually figure out how the dude finally figured out what was really going on with the big lebowski and bunny hope that's enough cheese for the lasagna my friend see you in loot so barry first of all let's talk about his point Compare this to other Coen Brothers films. What do you think? Well, so obviously, extremely biased, extremely jaded when it comes to the Big Lebowski. Going you to be jaded? Come on, Mister. Jaded. Going to be my favorite Coen Brothers movie by far. The Coen Brothers movies. I mean, they Fargo is a tremendous piece of work. Uh, he didn't say the movie Blood Simple, which is, I think, their that was most, like their first big one. Yeah, and super under underappreciated. It's uh, great acting, great storyline, but Lebowski is a, is a different. It's different. It's not really the typical Coen Brothers movie. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Over the line. I can so, get you a toe, dude. Yeah, I get I'm you just toted. Gonna, yeah. I'm gonna sit here and drink my coffee, dude. <laughs> this is America. I'm gonna sit here. <laughs> We're gonna have this brutal sparring uh, going back and forth. Yeah. The, the, the Jesus man. Jesus, he's man. a pederast. He's a pederast, yeah. dude. So, yeah, he's a pederast, and uh, it's look. Th this movie is. I, I've had people watch it and say, "I just don't get it. I don't understand it." What am I missing? And I, I don't know, Jeff, can we, can you explain that? Can you explain what you're not getting? I, I can't. I saw the movie the first time and I walked out and I said, that might be the greatest movie I have ever seen. I completely got it. Uh, and a lot of it has to do, you know, Jason brings up, well, I don't agree with the entire review. Jason brings up that the characters are, they're clearly defined. And I always felt the movie is really about the relationship between the dude and Walter. To me, it's the story is almost secondary, but it's this whole relationship between the dude and Walter. Donnie, to some degree, uh, the great the, Steve Buscemi, the great Steve Buscemi, who unfortunately has a heart attack. And, uh, and oh, a spoiler. Uh, yeah. Spoiler in the movie as they were just eating in and out burgers, actually. So it could have been the in and out burgers that caused it. But uh, I. I, I just think this movie offers so much, and it is funny to me when people don't get it and people don't understand it. Because for me, it clicked immediately, Jeff. 
this is what happens when you fuck another man in the ass. <laughs> so it's not something we say every episode. No, no, uh, you know, it's no. like, so, uh, well, let's put it this way. Uh, based on the four Coen brothers films that he mentioned, you put them in, in your own personal order. Okay. So Big Lebowski's number one, where are the other three? Uh, Le- I'm sorry. It was, Oh, uh, Big Lebowski, Fargo, no Fargo, country and Oh brother. And I, I would say Fargo, no country. And then, and then, Oh brother. And I liked Oh brother when I saw it in the theater, I was spectacular movie. It doesn't play on repetition the way that like Fargo, I've seen a hundred times Lebowski, obviously hundreds of times. I don't think that Oh brother plays the same way. Okay. So let me ask whether or not this would be fair. Okay. Fargo. Uh, no, I, let's take Big Lebowski first. Big Lebowski, would you say, uh, using the standard that I use, is it a movie or a film? Lebowski's a film. Okay. Uh, let's say uh, Fargo, movie or film? 100% film. Okay. Uh, no Country for Old Man. I don't think I need to ask you a question about that. That's completely a film. I think Coen Brothers, they make films, yeah. right? Okay, so so what do you think of the last one, though? Is, is O Brother? Because i got to be honest with you, of the four, O Brother is definitely my number four. Uh, I would, so I would agreement on that. I would flip flop on that, and I would say that um, No Country would be my second behind Lebowski. Uh, and again, it's not shitting on Fargo. Fargo is an amazing movie. I just, uh, you know, if you're going to put those four in order, that's the way I would do my order because I am such a huge fan of of uh, No Country for Old Men and Javier uh, Javier Bardem's uh, uh, iconic uh, Anton Chigurh. You know, what's the what's the most you've ever lost on the flip of a coin? You know, just such a fucking iconic movie. So, Barry, now I have to tell the folks before we get to our match of the week. I've got a great story to tell. I, I posted it online for those of you that didn't see it. Little story. It's story time with with Uncle Booker. Barry, are you ready? I am. OK, thank you. So the other day I had to go over to see my kids. And so as I was getting in my car, I had here's a shocking bit of news, Barry. I occasionally have pieces of candy in the car. Eh, nice. a shocker, I know. All right. So I drive. Well, wait, but you can't just gloss over this. What kind of candy do you have? Shockingly, it's a Werther's coffee candy, which is weird because I don't drink coffee. Now, but I like the coffee candy. Now, the candy stays in the car. Yay. And a Werther's is not going to melt. No, no, because it's hard candy, Correct. which is the reason when I'm out doing my side hustle, I have that in there because, you know, you get your, uh, you know, your, your caramels, those things, they'll melt in the fucking sun. I don't know if that's a huge news flash for you. Yes. But so anyway, so I go to get in the car and my car, because we had two car garage, but it's a little bit tight. So my car is sort of up against the side there. I drop this friggin' piece of candy and boom, I go to pick it up. So I put my wallet, and my keys up on top of the car while I'm bending down. Cause I don't know if you know this, I'm kind of a fat ass and, um, <laughs> and, and so I'm doing that and I go to pick it up. I grab the keys, get in the car. Eh, guess what? I forgot, Barry. Yeah. yeah, the old wallet on top of the car. So I drive. So the way that we leave the development we live in, we have to drive up a street, take a right, then take another left, and then you're outside the development, okay? And then you get on the roads to take you out to wherever you're going. So I go and visit my daughter. And so as I'm driving over there, Barry, have you ever had this experience? As a, a human male of the species, have you ever reached down, whether it's back pocket, front pocket, and oh my God, where's my wallet? 
Yeah, and that's that's fucking ta- heart attack inducing. Every man that's ever had that happen to him knows that feeling of oh shit, where's my fucking wallet? And I did that, and then I started thinking, well, let's see. I went and grabbed a couple pieces of candy before I left. Oh, I must have left my wallet on the kitchen counter. Okay, so I go to my uh, kid's house and I turn around. I'm heading back to the house so I can pick up the wallet. So as I'm coming down towards my driveway, and my there's a car parked in front of my uh, my driveway, and I'm like, well. Who the fuck is this parking in front of my driveway? And, uh, you know, I mean, I can get down my driveway, but he's next to it. And I see this guy walking from my neighbor's house over to my house. And I'm thinking, uh, this son of a bitch is going to try to sell me a new roof. Uh, let me clean your gutters. One of those kind of, you know, deals. And so uh, I pull into the garage and I get out and he's like, hey, how you doing? I said, good. Oh, let me ask you, are you missing anything? I said, uh, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he lifts out his hand and he's got my fucking wallet in his hand. And I go, holy shit, where did you get that? And he goes, well, oh, uh, up where uh, the local area, Little Mill Road meets Parks Road. And I go, yeah. He goes, right with the turn there, I was going. And so the guy holds up my wallet and I said, where the fuck did you find that? And he goes, I was at the corner of Parks and Little Mill. And he goes, it was all scattered all over the road. And I was like, what the hell is that? And people were running over your wallet. And I'm like, he holds it up and he's got like my cash. He's got my credit cards, my gas cards, my debit card. Barry, let me ask you as a man who's now approaching, what is it? 70, 70, 70 you're approaching? 73. Thank you. Thank you. So you're slightly the same age as Dave Flaherty. Uh, so anyway, I'm one of those guys and I know it's an old guy thing. I keep my social security card in my wallet. Bad news is that not, Barry Rose. Do you keep your uh, social security card in your wallet? I do not. I keep my social security card right next to my passport, which is in a locked box in my apartment. So it's not near your crotchal regions as we speak. It's not near my ass, crotch, anywhere in between. Yes. Okay. Well, that's that. Mark Hurtwick is joining us, and he now is <laughs> proudly displaying his social security. You old fart. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Travis. I expect you to check too. And uh, Michael also, though, going to be joining us in a second. So. No, no. Okay. Well, they're because they're young. Yeah, they're fucking punks and stuff like that. So anyway, so the guy says, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking this motherfucker, man, maybe he took a picture of my social security card, you know, and I'm like thinking all kind of panicky shit. And so then he hands all this. He goes, yeah, I got kind of scattered. So out of that whole deal, Barry, this fucker, he found every single thing that was in my wallet, except we have a second debit card that somehow disappeared. All my gas cards, all my cash, social security, driver's license, everything that could be, dare I say, important to me. He freaking returned to me. And I'm like standing there. You know, somebody asked me, well, did you give the guy a, you know, a little thank you for the effort? And I said, it happened so fucking quick. And he goes, ah, no worries. And he left. And I go, dude, uh, you definitely got some good karma coming your way. And I, I felt horrible for not fucking giving the guy something, you know? And it was what was funny was, so I got everything back and we, you know, reordered the new debit card, easy peasy, fresh and breezy. And so I was telling the story to a girl at the bank about what happened. And she goes, you know, she goes, I had the same thing happen to me. First of all, Barry, have you ever lost your wallet? I have. What a fucking nightmare. Oh my God. Like just that, that moment of terror. So the girl at the bank tells me this, she says, I left my wallet in my grocery cart at the store. And she goes, I got home and I'm like, oh my God, I, I got to go back to the store. She goes, I get a phone call. And she says, uh, yeah, uh, did you uh, leave your wallet at the store? 
And she goes, yes, as a matter of fact, I left it in the, in the grocery cart up in the, you know, the, the top where if you have a kid, you put the kid in there. And she goes, yes, I did. And she goes, oh, she goes, oh, can you identify it? So I make sure yeah, it's you. She goes, oh, yeah. And she describes the color and what's in the wallet and stuff like that. And the girl goes, oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's obviously yours. She goes, and then you know what she told me? I said, what's that? She goes, the woman said, so how much is that worth to you? And I said, ah. are you fucking kidding me? That's kind of scuzzy. And that she is. goes, yeah. She goes, uh, how much is it worth to you? And I said, uh, I got like 20 bucks in the wallet. I think, uh, the 20 bucks is yours. If I can get all this stuff. Like, yeah. Okay. That's good. So uh, that's some pretty sketchy behavior. What do you think bear? Yeah, that's sketchy. And that's, that's the kind of thing that'll turn around and bite somebody in the ass, at least in a karma perspective. Yes. She will not be getting good karma. Needless yes. to say. So the wallet has been returned. Uh, uh, thank God for that event because otherwise having to deal with that would have been crazy. So since we are here, Barry, in beautiful metropolitan Lutz, Florida, with all our groups, uh, those people that are listeners to this show and Patreon subscribers, thank you, folks. The rest of you, screw you. We are joined by our moderators from our fabulous Breaking Kayfabe with Byron and Barry Facebook group. And if you're not a member, Barry, why aren't you? A why aren't you? Exactly. What the why, fuck? What's, you know? what's the deal if you're not? Exactly. 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 The most popular group that's all uh, of all the uh, Arcadian Vanguard by far. Facebook groups by far, by, by far, far, you know, by far. You know why, Barry? You know why? Because we we're givers. Just, we're givers, but we don't just what stick to wrestling. No, we do not. That's that other group. Anyway, so we wanted out of appreciation to have our moderators join us. First off, we have our moderator for approximately 17 years. He's 17 and a half currently. Yes, Travis Reigns is joining us. Travis is almost eligible for retirement with the <laughs> lucrative <laughs> package that Breaking Kayfabe offers. It's also a contract here. So, that's true. That's uh, true. He's, he's uh, going to play out his and, option. And I've, been, I've been working really hard to try to get an extension going. So. Have you been approached by John McAdam about possibly moderating his group? No. Okay. No, I have not. I have not. Um, Would you consider a financial offer from uh, from John? Possibly. Possibly. He's yeah. It, so I mean, he would have to at least match your offer. Well, that's going to be a hard offer to match. There's no question about it. So, but Travis, we want you to know how much uh, we appreciate all your fine efforts in the moderating uh, capacity. Although hey, Barry, I got to just say this: since Travis is sitting next to me, close enough to where he could probably slap me if he wanted to. Hey, Travis has worked. Last year or so, it slipped a little bit, you know? Travis is, he's not quite as, as active in the group as he normally had been prior. God forbid his family, like, is your family really more important than us? Uh, you know, come on. I mean, you know, you need to. Uh, exactly. So, you know, but super appreciative. Look to that lucrative financial package once you hit 20 years and you retire with us. Hey, Travis is now, uh, uh, is it 74, 75? And, uh, you know, so uh, you, you're close to retirement age. Well, and I have the 17 and a half years of experience that I have passed on to those two. Well, so okay. I, that's yeah, why know. I can be a little less active in the group because oh. I, I know that I've trained these two well enough to continue. So you can, you're on. like the father yeah. figure of the moderators. Yes. You, yes. He's the father, the father of the group. I'm yes. The okay. Father. The mod father. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, so let me ask you uh, all the years of uh, the 17 years you've been with the uh, breaking KV about our and Barry group. Who is your most favorite member of the group? Go ahead. My most favorite member of the group. So someone you can give a shout out to. Somebody I could give a shout out to. Somebody that's sitting right now listening to the show and they got their fingers crossed and they're going, oh, please, Travis, please mention my name, please. Yeah, not Nelly. 
or Neely or whatever his name is. Actually, uh, I would like to give a shout out to Chris Spiker, but not necessarily to him, to, to him and his wife. His wife, Barry, join me, Mrs. Spiker. Who? Yes. Congratulations to the real, the key to the Spiker family. Yes. Jeff, you know, you know what you get from that as well? Is you get another brother shipper that's married up. Yeah, oh, no question about that. Yeah. I mean, Spiker at best was, you know, based on his, uh, you know, uh, his looks, uh, his uh, his income, he was basically looking at like a, a counter person at Burger King. But somehow he blessed himself and and, and got into Dr. Spiker. And, uh, you know, now basically I think Chris uh, pretty much sits around, doesn't do anything. Uh, that's basically what Barry tells me, at least, uh, but, Chris. Uh, yeah. Chris <laughs> just finished up her residency at Fort Bragg. Uh, they're moving up to New York, and she's going to continue out her service with the Army, <laughs> pay off that debt. Well, you mean but, Chris isn't paying off her debt? <coughs> no. Mm, excuse me. So anyway, and, uh, yes. And another thing for them, they they are expecting a child, and I have solid confirmation from the doctor and Chris Spiker both that the child's name in honor of Kevin Sullivan will be Golden Spiker. There you have it. That, that, is, that is big. That is big, you know. So absolutely congratulations to Mrs. Spiker on the upcoming Blessed event. Although we have lots of questions about the fact you married Chris. But other than that, congratulations. Travis, thank you for joining us. Thank and you your time and the media spotlight is now over. <laughs> Great appearance, Travis. Next joining us, Barry, is our friend Michael Herrick, another one of the moderators of our Facebook group. Michael, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your, uh, is it 24 years of experience or are you the young pup on the ground? Oh, no, no, Mark's the young pup. Okay. First so. time he's been called that in a long so, time. So you're the middleman, if you yeah. will, in the group. Yes. Okay, as the moderators. And uh, I've had several people reach out to me uh, regarding you as a moderator. What the fuck, man? What's with this guy, Michael? He's always busting my balls. And, you know, so we just want to say, but we do appreciate your efforts. So now is your opportunity. Who is your, Michael Herrick, your favorite member of the Facebook group? Well, I don't know about favorite, but I'm going to give a shout out to Aaron Grafton. Oh, because good Lord. Barry, that's a name we haven't heard in probably three years. Aaron yeah. Grafton, whatever happened to that guy? He disappeared. I tell you what, is he in a witness protection program? He, might, like he might be. He finally uh, ratted out one of the uh, one of the brothers or one of the boys uh, up in Chicago or something like yeah, that. I think, I think he was working for the mob and... Well, hey, you know, good good news, Barry. Now that Aaron got his name mentioned, you know what that means? For the first time, probably in 17 episodes, Aaron will actually listen to this segment. So, oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, thank you. We yeah. do appreciate it, Michael. Thank you so much for your hard efforts. And again, you are now eligible for the retirement package offered Excellent. exclusively by the good Excellent. folks here at, on the Arcadian Network. Brian, last, I don't know if you Barry, of course, can confirm this. A medical plan is included with uh, being one of the hosts. Oh, Michael, 401k, medical 401k. You know, yeah. you, and you don't get the HMO. Profit sharing. PPO, sure. Barry, not HMO. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. So the last one of our moderators to join us, Barry, is Mark Hurtwick. And thank God for that, because by this time, the listener is going, oh, when are they going to be done with those fuckers? So, Mark, thank you so much for your, uh, is it two months of experience here? You're the newbie here, Mark, uh, on the block as the moderator. How long have you been a moderator in our group? I think a little over a year, maybe a year and a half now. Okay, don't what a be, year. What a year. Yeah, what a year. It's a fabulous year. It was a year of growth, you know. It's like, it's like those old mid-Atlantic tapes, you know, 1984. A, a year in transition. <laughs> a, a year in growth. So, Michael, let me ask you, 
who is a person in the group that you like that you would like to mention? We had Aaron Grafton mentioned. We had uh, Spiker. Spiker. Okay, I was going to say who fucking cares who Travis mentioned. Who would you like to mention? I think if I could, I'm going to give a shout out to my buddy Jason D'Agostino up in Pennsylvania. Wish you were here. Isn't that the guy that before we started taping, you said that son of a bitch, he paid me $20 to mention his name. And Jason, quite frankly, that's something that doesn't surprise me. So, uh, uh, you know, Mark's going to buy a round of drinks tonight on you, Jason, for uh, tipping him the money just to get your friggin' name mentioned. That's and right. uh, is Jason a member of our Patreon group? He better be. So if not, so, but Mark, we appreciate all your hard efforts, all your work, keeping the people in line, you know, I, uh, the people, I'm not going to mention the names, Dave and Adam, that post at least <laughs> seven times a day, usually at 2 a.m. Am I correct, Barry? It, yeah, it's about, well, Flaherty's, uh, if we don't cut Flaherty off and limit Flaherty, as we should limit him with everything. Yes, uh, beer yeah. especially, but that's yeah, another story exactly. altogether. So, but uh, first of all, Mark, Michael, Travis, we certainly appreciate all your efforts. Barry, join me. Round of applause for the, uh, the moderators. A, a small smattering of applause for the group A.S. Sim Sullivan. Until next time. Barry, a surprise appearance by the man that we call the professor. We've mentioned his name before on this fine Peabody and Sherman award winning podcast. It's our old friend Pete Letterberg. Barry, Pete Letterberg, you know what his real claim to fame is? No, it's not being on Memphis TV with Howard Baum and the famous Tommy Rich Eddie Gilbert angle. What is Pete Letterberg most famous for, Barry? It's a pleasure to be here, Lance. It's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> big fan, big fan. Pleasure to be here, Lance. No, Pete Letterberg, I believe Barry Rose, correct me if I'm wrong, was the man that introduced us. He was. So Pete was. I oh, been, the eternal shame that you must be feeling, Peter. Yeah. About thir over 30 years ago, Pete and I, uh, we went to a wrestling show and then Pete brought me to. Uh, I believe it was Tom Nash's and Luna Vachon's apartment, and you were there. And I, of course, I knew who you were, Jeff. Because, oh, yes, and the Booker. But well, uh, yes, Pete is the guy. Pete, <laughs> they call me Booker. Available uh, through CrowbarPress.com. A little plug for the book there. So, anyway, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell all the moderators that there's a lot of chairs in this room. So if you want to start hitting me with them now. Yes. Work so yes, payback. <laughs> but uh, Peter, longtime friend and uh, a guy known, Barry, one of the premier, but it, I don't know if he's the level of Howard Baum, uh, but uh, you're Bill Apters, you're uh, Raul De Molinas, you're Peter Lederberg, <laughs> famous photographers in wrestling history. What do you think? Famous photographers, but look, I, there's a lot of guys who say that they were there. There is a guy that we always joke and we always kid about and people saying, oh, I was at Miami Beach every Wednesday night or whatever. And we can find no record of this. I can personally vouch for Pete because I was with Pete every single Wednesday for years, every single Monday in West Palm Beach for years, Fridays in Fort Lauderdale. And when we got really lucky, we were doing like, St. Pete or Lakeland on a Saturday. And so. uh, not to forget, occasionally on that St. Pete trip, we do Orlando on Sunday, too. And we would do Orlando, correct. So now that we have Pete here in front of us, I will hit Pete with a very important question. Peter Lederberg, in sure. your younger days, when you were uh, uh, driving around with a fully coiffed young Barry Rose, underaged Barry Rose, taking <laughs> the wrestling shows, were you the one that famously got Barry the slushy and vodka mix. Was that you? I'm not sure. It was I think the statute of limitations may have ended, so you're you're okay. Um, I believe it was uh, some kind of cheap wine. 
So, so he is hundred percent correct. We, I was in check. the back seat of check. I was in the back seat of the car, and it was Boone's Farm, and I want to say it was the Strawberry Boone's Farm. I, I was so. 14 years old and fucking hammered in the back seat. Pete Brian Berkowitz in the front seat, laughing their asses off at me as I'm in the back seat, gone. By the way, for those in the legal community, I believe that it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's some sort of culpability charge uh, leading to the delinquents uh, of a minor. And yes. so, Pete. Uh, I know your eternal shame for that. First of all, I know your lovely daughter, a big fan of Breaking K-Fable Veteran and Barry, not here with us this weekend. Do you want to say hello to your daughter? I would love to, Aiden. Uh, we miss you and we love you. And uh, we uh, hope you'll be at the next one. Uh, Pete's almost starting to cry there, Barry. I don't know if you noticed I'm that. I'm getting with Aiden, 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 I don't know. Aiden. I think I just had an onion because, uh, you know, there's something going on or it's a little dusty in the room here. <laughs> Barry also wanted to tell you an interesting story since we mentioned the whole wallet situation about my daughter, Kelly. And when I told her the wallet story, she says, oh, I have to tell you about the phone call I got the other day on the way home from work. And I said, oh, okay, what happened? So my daughter is driving home. So Barry, hey, I call you. Does it not pop up? Uh, you know, five stars, Bowdrin the Booker, uh, you know, like that's who's calling you, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Okay. So uh, unless your phone was built in 1975, you know, then you probably have access to a uh, caller ID. So Kelly's driving home and she, her phone rings, she looks at it and it says the call is from Capital One. Okay. So she's like, Capital One, why the hell is Kelly? You know, she, I don't have a late bill or anything like that. What, why is Capital One calling me? So probably against her better judgment, she picks up the phone. I told you the story, didn't I? You did. Oh, okay. Off air. So, so, yeah. I, so I, uh, we occasionally talk off air. I don't know if we do know. once in a while. So, yeah. so she picks up, she goes, hello. And so it's a guy from Capital One who is trying to talk her in to uh, somehow uh, changing her credit card, uh, and her information and all this to get a better, uh, you know, percentage rate or whatever. And so Kelly goes, well, do you work for Capital One? I mean, are you calling for Capital Well, no, actually what we do is we're the ones that make the cards for Capital One. We distribute the cards for Capital One. So she goes, so you're not actually Capital One. And he goes, no, no, we're the ones that make the card, but we can give you the better percentage rate. She goes, so well, let me ask you, and God bless her, I think this is a perfectly intelligent question. She goes, how can you give me a better rate if you're not Capital One? <laughs> and, and the guy goes, no, 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 we're not Capital One, we make the cards. And she goes, yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. So the guy says, hold on a moment. Let me put my supervisor on the phone with you. Okay. Because as Barry Rose, former restaurant manager and server check yeah. could tell you whenever there's a problem, Barry, who do you go to? Go to the manager every go time. To the manager. Hell yeah. So the manager comes on the phone, tells Kelly, yeah, no, we're not capital one. We're the people that make the cards for capital one that they send you. And the mail and Kelly goes, no, 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 I understand that. I get what you're saying. I'm not having a problem with the concept. My question is, if you're not Capital One, how are you going to change my percentage rate? Hey, you know, just theoretically uh, from five to 4.5, you know, something like that. How can you do it if you are not the actual company? No, 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 because we give them the cards. We have the ability to do. And the whole thing, Kelly is like, at this point, she's going, it's just, uh, you know, God bless her because apparently must have been her mother that trained her to think this way because you know, it's not me, Barry, you know, go figure. Uh, so she says, this sounds really weird. At which point, Barry, now let me ask you this. Uh, your days as a manager, Barry, did you ever find that when there was some sort of dispute, a question raised by a, a, a customer at a restaurant or something like that, did you ever find that it was a good idea when there was a dispute 
to begin cursing at the customer. <laughs> no. Did, did that ever solve it? You know, hey, you motherfucker, how dare you complain about our food? Uh, it usually yeah. does not work uh, and end well for you uh, in your role as the restaurant manager or server. Yeah, correct, Jack. And so, uh, so anyway, so now Kelly, uh, you know, is thought, and the guy begins, you know, like, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're being a bitch about this. And, uh, you know, begins cursing at her. And Kelly's, you know, like almost, but she's now, she's got the guy, it's the fishing lines in the Waterbury. And she's kind of starting to reel it in and she's got him hooked. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make this guy pay. So she's like, well, you know, what, what is it? You know, why should I do this? And then the guy, he actually starts telling her, uh, this is a horrible thing, Barry, you know, you think too much. That's what your problem is. Wow. Yeah. Well, God forbid someone who's potentially being scammed. God forbid you think about the issue because that's certainly never going to serve you well. So Kelly continues to play along with this guy, but I don't understand how you can offer me a better rate because you're not capital. And the guy says, there you go again. You're thinking too much <laughs> to curse at her again. So my oh. daughter was telling me, sorry. And then she hung, hung up on the guy. And I said, you know, very, very, for the, I think the third time this uh, episode, Barry, join me, if you will, to my daughter, Kelly. <laughs> Handled the scam call very well. I was very proud of her, as was the sainted Mrs. Bowdrin. Great stuff, Barry. Barry, I came across an article the other day. Who does not love the Godfather? Godfather 1, 2, Godfather 3, uh, you know, not as well received, but there are parts of, of part 3 that are watchable, except for maybe the, you know, uh, Sofia uh, Coppola's uh, part. But, you know, uh, uh, nothing wrong with Al Pacino's performance, but it just wasn't. I mean, you're talking about 1 and 2, two of the greatest films of all time, Bear. I, I Yeah, it, it, they are, and there will always be the debate which one is better, Godfather 1 or 2. I, they're both – I mean, they're both – two of the greatest films of all time they're yes. both uh they both you know if you're if you're giving them five star ratings and five being the best they're both five star movies without a doubt i do prefer godfather 2 but don't let that lessen the impact of just how amazing godfather 1 was godfather 3 is different if it wasn't i mean i think the flaws i i didn't like i i like the time period that the godfather movies were set in i didn't like the fact that godfather 3 was set in the current time period uh i'm not a huge fan of andy garcia uh i like I'm, andy garcia but i didn't like andy garcia playing like the italian guy you know yeah it didn't work it absolutely yeah. didn't work and it, what was weird about it too and Andy Garcia is a guy, I mean, it's not a guy that gets, uh, you know, I, I guess he doesn't connect uh, with the audience. He, he hasn't been in a lot the last few years. Maybe there's other reasons, but I didn't love Andy Garcia and I definitely didn't love Sofia Coppola. I know that's low hanging fruit because nobody liked her in that movie. Done some I, nice work as a director, but as an actress, amazing no. director, right? I'm yes. supposed to be fantastic. And even look, even as an actress, it wasn't that she was terrible. It, it was that she was kind of miscast in this role, I thought. This shouldn't have gone to somebody who had never been in a movie before. That's too big of a role. And, uh, and too obviously, important a series, too. Yes, absolutely. And it screams a nepotism. Uh, you know, I mean, it just – there was no reason for it. Uh, remove those two. And again, I – but I really – what I, you remember the assassination attempt with the helicopters? Sure. And a lot of people love that. And to me, it just said – this is the difference between Sonny getting killed at the uh, as he's going to pay the toll, 
at the toll booth. This is, and then this is what it's like now with uh, helicopters on like the 30th floor, whatever the fuck it was. So big difference, but one and two greats of all time. And if three had not had the Godfather name attached to it, I might've actually liked it. All right. So, uh, and let's give her credit. She does have great hair in the movie, Sophia. So anyway, what sparked all this is empire magazine. One of my favorite uh, film review magazines, uh, mentioned that as we speak, Barry, the 50th anniversary of the release of the original Godfather is upon us. So we thought it would make for a fun discussion as they discussed their, not ours, their top 10 Godfather moments. Are you ready, Barry, to discuss uh, Vito, Michael, Sonny, Fredo, and the whole familia? I leave the gun. Take the canola. I don't know if that's on the list. I'm just going to say. Better be. Yeah. Better be. <laughs> right. Number 10, Barry, Michael and Vito's final conversation from part one. Of course, very emotional because Vito has realized that the son that he did not want to take over his empire, Michael, is now in a position where he's the one that's going to have to take over the family business. It's it's a great scene too, and and I think a lot you know a lot of people when you say the Godfather, uh, and I don't want to spoil, and I, I but I'll use what I just really really reference. you know if there's someone listening that hasn't hasn't had the opportunity. No, I don't want to spoil your list. Like I don't want to start yeah. mentioning stuff right now. No, if you haven't seen the movie, fifty years later, exactly. Yeah, why are you, you. Right, exactly? Like you know, fuck. How long's the window there? Too soon? Fucking fifty years. But I don't want to spoil your list, so I'll I'll talk about what I talked. But when you think about The Godfather, there are certain scenes which are – they're iconic that transcend the movie The Godfather. One would be, as I just mentioned, Sonny getting killed at the toll booth. That's a huge scene. There is the other scene, which I know is going to make it. I I won't spoil it, but it involves a a certain part of an animal that – you know, exactly. So that's what you think of. I don't know that people always think of these these moments of dialogue. And as you just said, Michael and Vito, and there's two others that I will not mention that immediately spring to mind when it's just two characters having a conversation with each other. But it's so impactful. You say, you know, 50 years later, whatever, you know, I remember these scenes. That's that's how that's how important these movies were. So, yes. That is a, I would say that's absolutely a top 10 right there. Yeah. And the other thing, uh, besides the fact that uh, the veto is, you know, he's what's the word I'm looking for, not downcast, but uh, not upset, but he's sad that right. Michael, who he had sent to college, uh, who had become an educated man that he wanted to have escaped from the, uh, the whole criminal aspect of their lives. He wanted him to become a politician, uh, be quote unquote legit. And now he realizes that all his hopes and whether it's uh, because of the death of Sonny or, or what, uh, you know, and, and Fredo's, uh, uh, let's just say, uh, perhaps lack of ability, uh, to a certain extent, uh, you know, he's the oldest son, but now his youngest son is the one that's going to have to take over the empire. And that's, what has upset Vito and, you know, the realization that uh, has come to him. So now number nine, Barry, again, spoiler alert for uh, those of you out there. uh, Number nine from uh, Godfather part two, Fredo's death. 
Yeah. So that so we're talking about the great conversational scenes and the scene with uh, Michael and Fredo on uh, on the boat, the canoe, whatever they're on, uh, where they have. I knew it was you, Fredo. I knew it was you. There's the kiss on the cheek. Well, that, no, no, that wasn't on the boat. That was actually in the casino down in Havana, I believe. Because what, oh, the, Bruce, the boat was, was the kid. The boat with the boat was the death. Yes. Right. But because that was at yeah, the, the casino on New Year's right. Eve. You're right. That's exa- you're 100 percent. Thank you, Jeff. This is senility okay. set again, by the way. Check. <laughs> this is this is where he grabs him by the face and kisses him hard and says, I knew it was you. And then they're on the boat. And that is Fredo's death. For some reason, I do merge those two together. But yeah, that is I mean, the scene on the boat, I would say I you're saying this is number nine. Yes. That's top three to me. That's top so, three. So this was uh, well. Wait a minute. We've got still got eight more to go. So I know, but that's top three to me. I don't. I so just... what what happens, of course, is that Michael ha- knows he's going to kill his brother, but he want he waits until his mother passes away because he doesn't want to kill his brother while his mother is alive, uh, out of respect for his mother. Uh, so this all, of course, happens at the same time that uh, Hyman Roth is gunned down. Uh, Frankie Five Angels, played by Michael Gazzo, uh, yes. op- as they say here in the article, opens a vein in the bathtub. Uh, you know, so hey, by the way, do you know who uh, one of the actors was that was guarding him? Give me a hint. Oh, you're going to hate yourself if you don't know this. Yes, off the top of my head, I don't. That's what Harry Dean Stanton. Get the fuck out. Seriously? Uh, my right hand. Yes. Wow. No, Harry Dean Stanton is one of the, I guess it's the FBI agents or whatever that's guarding uh, Frankie Five Angels that finds him in the tub uh, having killed himself. Yeah. But getting back to uh, the scene, uh, incredibly emotional that, you know, this, uh, you know, he has to kill his brother for the betrayal to the family uh, in, in Michael's eyes, uh, you know, that his brother has betrayed him. Uh, and so, you know, retribution has to be met out. And so, you know, uh, Fredo goes out in the boat. And then, of course, while he's, uh, you know, just as he's getting ready to get killed, he's reciting the Hail Mary. But he, I mean, he's doing it, uh, trying to, you know, Hail Mary to to get a fish, uh, you know, for a fish to bite on his line. So it's very impactful, I think, uh, that here he is. He's reciting the Hail Mary as he's being executed. It just it made it, you know, for me as a, you know, grew up Catholic. It just right. added a little bit you know, more to it, Barry. Yeah, it's uh, it's look, it's a, and that's, but that's where you, that's a, that's a good director, right? That's a, that's a good screenplay writer. Yeah. Little things like that, you know, there that I think make all the difference. Because think about it, you know, we we discussed recently the movie Velocipaster, and at the same time, not there, quite no, in the same league right. as the. Yeah, exactly. But it's the attention to detail with a really good director and understanding little things like that, which I really, I really like. You know, and I will say, as we, you know, further on, ad- go on down the list, the source material for the movie, of course, was Mario Puzo's uh, novel, The Godfather, yep. which I actually had a chance to read. And, you know, more than 50 years later, it's an incredible book at at one family's uh, criminal empire uh, and the way that uh, circumstances happen, events happen that completely changed what was going to be their future. Uh, and I don't, I don't just mean someone dying or someone being murdered or whatever. It's like all these different things that Vito Corleone had planned for his family that just kind of go off the rails 
uh, and he doesn't have the uh, ability to control what's happening to his family. And that's part of, you know, so if you've never, if you're a fan of The Godfather and you've never read Mario Puzo's novel, uh, The Godfather, you're really doing a disservice to yourself. And, you know, you you owe it to yourself to go out, out of your way to find the book and read it. Number eight, Barry, from part one, the door closes and Kay sees the, uh, the guys in the, in, in the group kissing Michael's hand, kissing the ring because the new Godfather uh, has been anointed and the door closes. That very symbolic, uh, you know, shutting the door on, on Kay, on her ability to see what's going on with the family business. Yeah, and that's a, and again, Kay played by the great Diane Keaton, uh, Michael obviously Al Pacino. You've got two heavy hitters right there. Probably, you know, that that whole period, at least the 1970s, these were two of the best actors in probably working at that stage. Diane Keaton known for her work with Woody Allen, uh, which would begin just in a couple of years or maybe even a year. And uh, and Al Pacino, this this literally put him on the map. Yeah, and a forward. guy that really he had made a couple movies, but just absolutely made him a megastar. Yeah, and deservedly so, though. Oh, like, yeah, I know he was tremendous. In the yeah, I, I've so. been a little critical of Al Pacino in later years uh, for a bunch of reasons. I, I think he uh, he plateaued as far as acting and he fell into this groove of speaking loud and all that that I didn't love. But his work in The Godfather is again, I, I, did he win an Oscar? Did you know, nominated, um, right? I don't know if he won it or not. Maybe while we're talking, Luke can look that up and, and tell us. Uh, there were a lot of people nominated from uh, the, the cast, yeah. which is yeah. just absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, uh, of course, uh, Kay not understand. Don't ask me about my business, Kay. You know, she yeah. doesn't understand. And don't ask me about my business. Uh, you know, so. Uh, but, yeah, the the symbolism around that moment as, you know, he uh, the, the door is closed in Kay's face. Uh, and to any uh, any it sort of closes the door on their marriage, too, because, you know, uh, there had been problems before. But now he is effectively shut, literally and figuratively shutting her out. And uh, anyway, now, number seven, Barry. Oh, I think maybe you mentioned this number seven on our top 10 best and most impactful Godfather moments. Oh, Sonny and the toll booth, Barry. I again, I to me, there are three scenes. And again, it's strictly my opinion, three scenes that immediately pop to mind when I think of The Godfather. This would be one of them. I did mention the animal, a certain animal's body part, which I know has got to be up there. And the third one, I, I won't say anything, but I, I feel this would be a little higher up there. This was there was a couple of scenes and I, I this one I'm going to jump the gun. But the scene where uh, Sonny beats up Carlo. And uh, is hitting him with garbage cans and all that shit and just beat the beats the fuck out of him. Uh, it's great. First off, we love it. Right. Like you're beating up, you're defending your sister who's getting beaten by her husband uh, and you just beat the snot out of this guy, which I think is great. And then, of course, there's the scene. And I, what I remember, I remember the first time I ever saw this scene, I was I was shook up. Like I, I was a young kid. I don't know how old. I don't know if this was. Uh, you know, if my parents took me to see this at a young age as they did the exorcist or, uh, you know, again, fantastic parenting right there, or <laughs> I, you know, like it really, really is it shout out to, uh, 
Is it any wonder I'm a little fucked up? Like, you know, like I'm a little screwed in the head. Like, come on. This is exactly what happened to me when I was young. So uh, I'm a little taken with that. But this scene, I remember seeing it and I was I think I think I was saddened. I think I believed that Sonny had really been killed. And if you remember the death and I know that you remember the death, this is a graph for the time. This is a graphic death. He must have been shot 100 to 200 times, and he's still standing, if you remember. And then it's just it's so impactful, that scene. My own personal list, if I was doing it, it would have been much higher. So a couple things. Sonny Corleone, in a lot of ways, uh, is a almost like a wrestling tweener. And the fact that he's got an explosive temper, uh, there's a lot about him that you sit there and you look and you say, I don't like this guy. He's kind of an a-hole, but here he's defending his, you know, when he attacks uh, Carlo, he he defends his sister. So respect to him for that because Carlo is completely a heel and, you know, uh, and is a real shit bag. And when he gets the ass kicking with the trash can, you're like, yeah, (laughs) exactly. You know? So when Sonny, who I believe, is going to chase after Carlo for, for something. And then they've cornered him at the toll booth. The shooting scene, according to the article goes on for 25 seconds. Now that maybe doesn't sound a long time, but if you watch it, man, it it, it just yeah. goes on and on and on. And yeah. then they, as they point out, even after he's well, he's dead. They come up and kick him in the head. Like, it's like, you know, a real, just brutal, brutal death and an end of Sonny Corleone. But it's an incredible scene, incredibly shot, uh, just superior, superior work here. Number six, Barry, from part one. Oh, it's the very beginning of the movie. I believe in America. Yeah. So I, it, uh, no, it, I mean, again, we're putting that above Sonny's death. Like, holy cow. That to me is. Well, so- I, I think I think the reason maybe this goes in front of Sonny's death is this is what starts the whole ball rolling downhill. You know, it does. But let me ask you a question. If I said to you, if we remove that scene from the movie and again, it's the beginning of the movie. If we were if we remove that scene from the movie no harm, no foul. But if you take away Sonny's no, murder, uh, no. I, I don't. I don't know that. Uh, I, I think uh, I can see where you feel that Sonny's uh, murder is more impactful. Right. And uh, you know, I completely understand this. Though I think if you take this scene away because of what happens after Sonny's death, when Vito goes to visit uh, the Undertaker, whose name is Bonacera. And, you know, of course, the classic scene in, in classic language says, look, look what they did to my boy, you know, and, yes. uh, you know, he says, please, you know, do use all your skills to to make him presentable when his mother looks at him. And it's such an emotional scene where Vito Corleone is like he's broken by the murder of his son, yes. you know, and, and what they've done to him. And so I think in that sense, having that scene with the undertaker who's going to his godfather on the day of his daughter's wedding, when the, the godfather is known to, to, uh, you know, accept and, and honor favors that are asked of him, you know, that, that scene plays into what happens later in the movie. And that's why I think it's very important, by the way, great uh, notation from the article. So as the scene is, is opening up, uh, Vito is stroking a cat, 
Okay, I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah. Apparently, there was a cat that was like a stray cat on the on the Paramount set, and they just kind of dropped him in Vito's lap as they began to shot uh, shoot Smart. the scene. Yeah, that's that's like really funny. So uh, anyway, number five. Oh, Barry, this is an unbelievable scene. Now you have to understand, folks, as we're doing this, this is not top ten from Godfather one. This is not top 10 from Godfather two or three. This is top 10 from the entire series. Okay. So as Barry says that, you know, uh, uh, maybe the, the death of Sonny should have been higher. Th there's lots of, uh, lots of meat to this bone here, bear. Number five, a young Vito stalks and kills Fanucci from part two. That's when he's good. The parade is going and he's on the I rooftop like, yeah. and the guy's in the white suit and he's following him. What'd you think of that scene bear? That's a great scene. That is a great scene, too. And, uh, it, you know, again, it's the placement. I, I still I, I think I might be you as we talk about the demarcation line. Sonny's murder may be the demarcation line for me. Sure, uh, that's fair. Yeah, it's a it is a great scene, though. And it's I think it's an impactful scene for part two. So, yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, Robert De Niro takes the Which gun great. And, he, and he has it yeah. wrapped up in a towel to silence yep. the, the noise. And then uh, after he's uh, he's executed Fanucci uh, for all that Fanucci has done, not only to him, but to other other people in the neighborhood, uh, he goes to the roof and he begins, uh, you know, taking apart the gun and and putting it down different uh, drains and pipes and stuff like that. Uh, so there's no evidence. And then he calmly just uh, uh, goes out and watches the parade from his front doorstep. Great, great scene. Number four, Barry. Oh, you may have referenced this, Barry. It's the horse's head from part one. Oh, the horse's head. So what, again, what an impactful scene. And uh, who was the guy who, who was, uh, who, who discovered it? Who, in uh, real it, it was the, uh, it was the studio boss whose name yeah. was Jack Waltz. Played by okay. John Marley. John Marley, okay. Who yeah. was he was an old time movie actor. Yeah, right? veteran character actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh and he's great because the scene that leads up to him is when he is uh he's made an offer by Robert Duvall, who's consigliere of the Godfather. Tom Hagen. And Tom Hagen. And uh while I don't want to offend anybody, you know, my Mick Kraut friend, you know, yeah. he's insulting him and calling him all these slurs. And Robert Duvall, what again? So when it comes to actors, has there ever been a greater group of actors than what you had in this movie? Oh, yes, this is incredible. Yeah, exactly. Robert Duvall is Tom Hagen, the wartime consigliere. Yes, he's deadpan. Uh, well, thank you for your time today. Right? <laughs> He's all calm. And then the next thing you know, you this hear. This is the Burst, kind of news my employer wants to hear right away. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And, uh, and, and, he go, and I think he says, you go tell your fucking employer. Does he know who I am? I was banging cocktail. That's the other guy that says I was banging cocktail waitresses two at a time. Where you, <laughs> right? But he, uh, that scene is he when, was an old school Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> he was an old school. There you go. Uh, he wakes up in the morning and I think the birds are chirping. It's a great scene because it, the horror of what is about to occur be, is the complete opposite of how the scene starts. It wakes up and you hear birds and there's sun coming in the room and he gets up and he's like, oh, you know, does a little stretch. And then all of a sudden, why is the bed wet? Why is the bed, you know, and he finds the blood, eventually pulls down the sheets, and there is his prize horse, uh, the head of the horse. His in prize the bed, thoroughbred. Prize thoroughbred in the bed with him. That is an incredible scene. And I would say 
that is the scene that I would say that's the number one scene of the entire series for somebody who doesn't really know the Godfather too well, but maybe just knows the basic, the surface of the Godfather. They would say, oh, yeah, that's the one where the guy puts the uh, horse's head in the bed with the other guy. That's yeah. what, yeah. I, yeah, I just reminding us, she was the greatest piece I had, and I've had them all. <laughs> all over the world. I was banging cocktail waitresses two at a time while you were still sucking on your mother's nipple or some <laughs> variation of that, but I don't remember uh, what it is. And uh, as the article states here, the message is clear. Don't fuck with the Corleones. And, uh, of course, uh, I should mention that Tom Hagen was out there uh, asking uh, to help the uh, Godfather's, uh, what was it, like uh, – his godson or friend, uh, Johnny Fontaine. It was Johnny Fontaine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was the relationship, though? I I don't. Like, I I think he was a. Uh, they just. He was just one of their boys in a sense. He was like the neighborhood kid, and they wanted to give him a start. Johnny Fontaine, if I'm correct, is still around, and we're a well, lot of Johnny the, Fontaine may not be, but Al Martino might be. Al Martino, the guy who played Johnny Fontaine. Exactly. Al, Johnny Fontaine's dead, but Al Martino apparently that's a guy we should try to get on the podcast, Jeff. Amen. Al Martino was was sort of a guy. That was uh, he came up when uh, when Sinatra exploded uh, and I, I can actually remember my parents having Al Martino records. <laughs> That's, wow. Oh, yeah. So now, Barry, top three. Do you have in mind what one of the top three might be? Just not oh, all three, but just blue checking in. Al Martino died in 2009. He will not <laughs> be a guest on the show. <laughs> he will, Sweet Lou is uh, scam likely is the guy who played Carlo, though. Is he still? Or, I know I read an article recently. I don't want to think it's been 13 sure, years. Try since to I fix that mistake, Bear. Go yeah. Ahead. Oh, please. I, I Jeff, I don't know what fucking day it is, let alone anything. So, uh. I think Carlo might still be. I know somebody is still around. Not Al Pacino, one of the lesser known actors. Yeah. Uh, we need to get somebody on. Yeah. Al Martino, uh, speaking of lesser actors, was sort of a uh, uh, a low rent Sinatra. You know, he would Very do the low rent Sinatra. Yeah, he, yes. he would do like uh, sort of the Italian love songs. Uh, he was the guy. If you, yeah, we can't get Sinatra, but we got Al Martino. You know what I mean? Uh, it, Doing like, the, hey, hey, Mambo. Hey, hey Mambo. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what do you call uh, it? Did the Vegas circuit when uh, Vegas yeah. became a thing. So now getting back to my question, do you have in mind what one of the top three scenes might be? Not all three, but do you have one? You're like, oh, this has got to be there. Uh, I do. Yes. Okay. So when we finish, you tell me uh, whether or not. Yep. Yeah, that was the one. Number okay. three from part one, Barry. It's the baptism. Baptisms and I mean, my God, baptism is an amazing. All scene. debts are paid. All debts are paid. Uh, it is a yes, another great scene, and it's intercut with other things that are happening, uh, which I like. But yeah, the baptism scene is a very impactful scene, and I think it, I think that uh, Carlo Sweet Lou checking in Gianni Russo, who played Carlo, still alive at seventy eight. Sweet Lou, we have got to track down Gianni Russo. I don't Lou, get on that for us. I don't think he's doing a lot of work these days, so I think a <laughs> podcast appearance would be in order. That would be fucking cool. That is the baptism scene is a great scene, and I think uh, I think with that, I think you give Coppola a lot of the credit on that one as well. And what the article uh, points out very correctly is that the baptism scene, where all debts to the family are repaid, 
you finally uh, see Michael's descent into darkness fully realized. And I think that's an excellent way of putting it because, uh, you know, I, I said uh, the scene where the door closes, that's where they're acknowledging him. They're kissing his hand in the ring and all that kind of stuff. But this is when uh, Michael is paying back everybody that screwed the family over. Uh, and, you know, he's doing it as uh, Connie's son is being baptized, uh, you know, and you see scenes of the baptism uh, going and taking place uh, as these men are being executed, which is uh, quite the uh, transitional scene. So for Tuberry, you've also discussed this. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart from birth. Oh, what a scene and the way. So, so this is, so here it is. I don't even, I haven't seen The Godfather in a while. Uh, about about due for a rewatch, are you? Always. I think, I think it's a movie that you should. But in my head, I remember clearly the look on Al Pacino's face and then the look on Fredo's face. And this is where the camera work was so important because he Coppola captures the moment. Pacino's got both hands on uh, John Cazale. John Cazale's face, pulls him in, kisses him, and then says, I know it was you, Fredo. And they – You see the scene, but then they do close-ups of each of their face, and I remember this. Like that's the that's how impactful it is, though, and that's how good it is. That is a a huge scene right there, and that is that's the scene that uh, a lot of people you'll see it on Facebook and all forms of social media. Whenever somebody possibly either screws somebody over or does something, you'll always get that Pacino uh, Fredo deal going, you know? And it, look, even, I, I'm not going to get political. We don't get political. There were people calling other politicians Fredo last year. Do you remember? That's how, I mean, realize that's how. Oh, it's, I, part, it's absolutely part of the, yes, uh, the culture, you know? It's, that's how iconic this is, that people can actually, 50 years later, call a politician Fredo or something in reference to the Godfather. Yeah. Fantastic and, and scene. A couple things. Uh, it says here uh, in the article, uh, the New Year's Eve party in Havana uh, set to the uh, chirpy Cuban standard Guantanamera. <laughs> How about a few bars? Guantanamera. So the ratings just went through the roof for our singing, Barry. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's talk a little about how awesome John Cazale uh, was as an actor, a, a guy who uh, he was in the Godfather movies. He made uh, the deer hunter uh, I'm trying to think. Cause he literally was in like, Oh, he was uh, in um, what, what do you call uh, the Attica Attica um, with Pacino. What was that movie? Oh, the he dog was after- the, dog dog, afternoon. The, the, the sex change. That's right. Yeah, he was, yeah. uh, and, and no, no, he, he wasn't the guy getting the sex change. No, that no, but that's Chris yeah, Sarandon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But it was in the movie, though. That's what I remember. Yeah. That uh, but Zale only made like like less than five movies, but uh, and he was so impactful uh, in what he did. He left, you know, before his untimely death, I believe, to cancer. Yeah, uh, just left such an incredible body of work, and he was, you, you know, you wonder as great an actor as he was, would he have ever escaped uh, that? You know, playing the Fredo s kind of guy. You know, but 
what's interesting here is at the end, you know, you were talking about how it's become synonymous with so many things in, in culture. Uh, the end of the article writes, Fredo is now as synonymous a name as Judas Orlando Calrissian. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so for, spoiler for alert. Teeth betrayals. Did, yeah, that's- did, did Lando Calrissian, uh, was, he, was he a Judas? I didn't know that. Well, th- there was the part. Uh, apparently, you're not up on your Empire Strikes Back, Barry. No, uh, no. That uh, you know that he uh, ha- kind of sells the group out there, but then, then uh-huh. try to tries to redeem himself uh, uh, further on. So now, Barry, we've gotten to number one. So tell me, Barry, what do you think number one is? Uh, or it was one of the ones that I just mentioned, the one that you thought was going to be on here? No. So I would say so based off of what we've already discussed on the list, there is. There's several scenes. It is uh, it's the, either the leave the gun, bring the cannoli, or take mm-hmm. the cannoli. I think it is. That, uh, believe it or not, was outside of the top. I think it was like uh, in the top fifteen, but wasn't in the top ten. Because I think that's an amazing. Oh I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I have a feeling. I, I'm. Well, let me tell you. I think the death of Vito Corleone when he dies, even though it's subtle, and I think that's what makes it work. It's a subtle death. That is, uh, but I would have to think I'm going to put all my money on Luca Brazzi the day of your daughter's wedding. And that whole where he's rehearsing it for like three minutes. I come to you, Don, on the day of your daughter's wedding. And then, of course, yeah, that, that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go with that. You are incorrect. Don't. All right. Number one, Michael Corleone shoots Salazzo in the Italian restaurant, oh, uh, which, by the way, uh, Lewis's restaurant in the Bronx. Barry, you ever been there? No, never. Have you ever worked there as a manager or server? As a server or manager, you mean? Yes. No, I've never been there. Check. No. So right. uh, discussing this. Uh... <laughs> so can I tell you a funny thing? So yeah, I, uh, we, we live for your humor, Barry. Could I? <laughs> Fucker. Sorry, you set yourself up for that one. I know I did. I absolutely did. So is everybody taking a seat momently as I, as I tell the story? <laughs> Lou, are you sitting, sitting down, down on the too? Couch. Uncle Barry's got a story for you. It got a story. So, look, as we know, we, we're doing this podcast going up on five years, and, and there's been a lot of things that we either repeat, uh, such as when I, I'll say, Jeff, you're 100% correct. He goes, check, check. et cetera. Uh, obviously, my shit uh, – went to new levels uh thanks to the late joe chrissy who we miss terribly uh but the the one that appears to be taking off now is are you a server or manager so i'll talk with chris spiker <laughs> this will be a phone conversation and I'll, I'll be like yeah i went to mission last night and he would be like oh yeah he goes did you see a server or manager in there so today i'm talking with ben james about an hour before recording and we're talking about uh, I think it was a restaurant opening up near him. And immediately I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to go eat there. And he was like, were you ever there as a server or a manager? <laughs> like, so it, all these convers- all these little things that we just say sometimes and we don't, it all takes on this whole life of itself. But the server manager one, which uh, you started months back, is uh, it's kind of taken off. And conversations I'm having with people now, they're saying server or manager. So uh, yes, even if you do not comment publicly on any of that, we know that you're out there listening. So getting back to our Godfather story, now that Uncle Barry has uh, had his whole story time, you've never been to Lewis's restaurant in the Bronx, correct? Never. Which I believe is still there. 
Not 100% sure. Maybe Lou can check with us. But uh, the place is recommended by Tessio, uh, the great Abe Vagoda. Yes. Uh, quote, a small family place, good food. Everyone minds his business. Perfect. They got an old-fashioned toilet, you know, the box and chain thing. Barry, you ever been to a restaurant that had the box and chain thing? <sighs> not, not in many. Yes, but not in many, many, many years. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, that is the scene, of course, where uh, Michael goes in there. The gun has been stashed. He comes out. Uh, you've got uh, 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 the uh, the guy. I just drew a blank on the guy's name for a second. It's Salazzo. I'm sorry. Uh, is out there. Uh, he's fucked with the family. You don't fuck with the Corleone family. And then, of course, the uh, the police captain, I believe it was Sterling Hayden. I can't remember what his name Boy, it was, and boy, was he good. Oh, yeah, he was such an yeah. asshole. And he yes. gets the bullet right between the eyes. And then Michael drops the gun, leaves as people are uh, wondering what the hell is going on. But uh, maybe in that part of town, it's not a completely uh, unheard of. So, uh, yeah. So, Barry, now... Tell me that we've got to number one. We've talked about number one. It's a friggin' great scene, by the way, because it just, you know, what's great is it doesn't happen like boom, boom. Like it, it's a slow burn, you know, like uh, they, they sit for a while. Uh, and then Michael, of course, famously asked for permission to use the bathroom. Yes. He doesn't just say, I need you. May I please use the bathroom? And so uh, then he goes in, finds the gun, comes out. And bada boom, bada bang, which is another Italian show. Uh, you know, he he does the uh, the family business proud. So, Barry, tell me right off the top of your head, what's a scene that you're like, holy fuck, I can't believe this isn't in here. Would you say it's the uh, cannoli scene? I would say it's the cannoli scene or the day of my daughter's wedding. I I think those are the two that uh you know, again, I and everybody makes fun of that one, too. It's all oh, the day of my daughter's wedding. You always hear that. I, and the cannoli scene's a big deal because that's yeah. a he puts the Garrett around the neck uh, and and kills him. And uh, and then they get out and it's, you know, leave the gun. But, you know, take the cannoli. I think that is uh, that is absolutely incredible. Yeah. By the way, I want to I want to thank you for uh, for educating our audience with the uh, the use of the term Garrett. You know, you just throwing out right. this uh, old school gangster uh, verbiage there, Barry. So. Well, sure. That's what I am. I'm exactly. Old, so we're going to go yeah. we're going to go back and uh, I'm going to mention a couple of ones that did not make the top 10 that are on her number 11. Barry Vito in part two kills Don Ciccio. Toads, yep. the guy that killed his friggin' brother and his mother, uh, and he got exactly what was coming to him. Great scene, Barry. Yeah. Uh, a tremendous scene, too, and Don Ciccio, I actually... Who played Don Ciccio? Who was that guy? <laughs> right on the tip of my tongue, Barry. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, number 12, Barry, you'll be happy to hear that Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli was uh, number 12, so they didn't right. forget it totally. Uh, number 13 is Vito's death. Okay. Yes. And, uh, they, so they there you go. So I'm like rounding out, uh, 10 to 15 is where yeah. I'm at. Okay. And, uh, number 14 is, uh, the final shot of part two when, uh, they go back and they do, uh, the, the bit where they're, uh, sitting at the dinner table. Uh, and, uh, you know, that they, uh, Michael uh, is on, uh, Lake Cuomo He's got uh, oh Lou chiming in. Don Chichu is played by Giuseppe Salato. That's uh, it. The great Lou, Giuseppe Salato. Check to Salato. see if Giuseppe's still with us. Uh, I have Giuseppe 140 at this stage, <laughs> but yes, he was and, old then. And he's at the point where he's thinking about getting married, but he's not sure. <laughs> yes, right. He's thinking about maybe I should get married. Maybe I can go do a podcast. That's exactly what's on his your life. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, number 15. As we're going oh, backwards. Oh. 
Uh, All right. Mary's death uh, uh, on the steps, uh, the look of anguish on Al Pacino's face uh, as his daughter Mary is gunned down in part three. I will say of that whole movie, that's the one scene that's really incredibly well acted because the look of just anguish on Pacino's face is incredibly uh, just realistic and just an absolute masterclass in acting. I liked Pacino's death in, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, in in number three, which I think was, didn't he, wasn't it related to the diabetes? Didn't he Uh, die? Or am I mistaken? (laughs) I don't know if it was the diabetes. I remember he he died, you know, out in the yard by himself, though, you know. Yeah, but um, remember there was a scene where he was, they had to bring him orange juice right away because of his diabetes. His blood levels were off. And then he winds up dying in the yard. I, I don't know. It, regardless, I guess. But uh, I think they handled – I think that to me says a lot. The way that Vito died – and Vito just died. Was it a heart attack? Yeah, he had a heart attack like, uh, chasing his grandson around. Yeah, yeah. And he just kind of keeled over chasing his kid. That was actually filmed. What I liked about that, what I remember about that was that Coppola had put the camera low to, I guess, uh, to signify – the height of the child and Vito was running around chasing him, but you were seeing a lot of it where it was looking up at Vito, you know, uh, yeah. again, supposed to be the child. I actually like that, but I like the fact that both of those deaths, which are, you know, you've got the Godfather, then you've got the successor to the Godfather. Neither death was this, uh, this assassination. No, there were assassination attempts on them, obviously, uh, that they both were just essentially dying of natural causes. Well, I thought and, that was really smart. And and, and in a sense, uh, you know, uh, taking the young grandson out of the equation, they both died uh, alone. You yes, know? yes, uh, yes. And in the in the yard, they they died alone. Uh, and you're right; it wasn't like they were murdered, and you know, like the way Sonny was. But uh, all right, so six, I have a question, Jeff. Okay, not, this better be it. Apollonia's death. Where's that? Uh, we'll see if that's there. All right. So, uh, and I loved Apollonia uh, when she uh, ended up hooking up with Prince in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Number 16, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big, because we've all said that. Uh, I, you know, I, I've, uh, I've been determined to either leave a, a restaurant that I had been working in or something like that. And then I always use that, 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 the, the same exact line. So yeah, <laughs> I think I was like idea. that about the courthouse too. Exactly. Number- we all, at some point we're all using the line. Yes, yeah, of course. 17 K tells Michael about the abortion. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that one. I, I 17. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. And it was a boy child. And that's, <laughs> Oh, that was just especially brutal to Michael number. Let's see. Number 18. Discussed it briefly. Look how they massacred my boy. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. A, and should be higher as well because uh, Brando's acting and that was fantastic. Brando, I mean, we, you know, we could do a whole, a whole fucking series of episodes on Brando and uh, his methods of acting and the way he lived his life, which affected the way he was acting as well. But that it, that scene is, uh, as you said. The anguish you if you've and I've never done it, maybe I'll do this. But I think even if you weren't watching him and you just heard his voice, 
it, you would be disturbed. It's it's that good of acting with 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 Marlon Brando for that. Yeah. So uh, off topic for just one moment. Did you ever see the great Saturday Night Live skit where Belushi is like going to anger management as Vito Corleone? I don't remember. If and, I and oh my God, it's Lorraine Newman. Yeah. Who, by the way, does not get credit for being the first person that I heard doing the whole Valley Girl shtick. Uh, right. And she's she's going. Uh, you know, he, he's trying to come to grips with his anger, and and Lorraine Newman goes, "Vito, Vito, come on, you're you're not processing this correctly. You're 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 hiding something." It was very funny. Uh, okay, back to this real quickly, just to finish out number nineteen. Oh, Barry, you just mentioned it. Apollonia's car exploding from part one. Yeah, and what made first off very sad to see Apollonia go. She was, if you don't recall or have not seen it, Apollonia was this beautiful busty woman uh girl young woman stunningly gorgeous that michael after he had killed uh after he killed the three the three guys in the in the restaurant uh he escapes over to i believe it's sicily right and uh he's over there and he hooks up with apollonia and uh the bomb is meant for him She's getting in the car. He realizes and he screams, no, or whatever he screams. The car goes great acting by Pacino because as the car explodes, again, the anguish on the face appears to be legitimate. It's uh, this is a stellar piece of acting that if you think if you think if you're watching uh, television or movies these days and seeing good acting, uh, go back and watch uh, Michael's face as the car blows up. Yeah. So finally, Barry, just to wrap this uh, segment up, number 20, it's Vito Corleone looking at the Statue of Liberty in part three. Uh, the article says, uh, it is wordless but extraordinarily affecting moment, the immigrant experience encapsulated in a single elegant piece of filmmaking. I guess so. It didn't – It. Wasn't impactful on me, but I could certainly see where. Well, were you a Sicilian immigrant, Mister? No. See, see, right? Did you come over? Did you? Were you on Ellis Island? And uh, no, I did not. Uh, but yeah, it, for whatever reason, that didn't leave too much of a mark on me. But who am I to argue with the people who create these actual lists, Jeff? Yes. So number one, finally, as we wrap it up, Michael shoots Salazzo in the restaurant, and the police captain, whose name I can't remember, played by Sterling Hayden. So, Barry, now let me ask you if you're ready to play America's Favorite Game Show. Oh, it's time a, for a little Florida man or not, Barry Rose. And we're actually in Florida. How exciting. Oh, yeah, I know. That's what makes it just so freaking oh. weird. So, Barry, let me ask you if you're ready for the first story. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's see how good the Wi-Fi is. Okay, Barry, the headline reads, Man arrested following drunken joyride on motorized cart in Walmart. Story goes, man was charged after he took a drunken joyride on a motorized shopping cart through a Walmart. Deputies say they were called out to the store around 10.30 a.m. It's 10.30 a.m., so it's an early drunk, Barry. He was getting his morning drunk on. This wasn't like you're, uh, you know, at 10.30, 11 p.m. where your uh, store's getting ready to close, but you're shit-faced. Not that we know anyone that would ever be like that. For reports of a man who appeared to be intoxicated driving through the store on the motorized buggy at what point at one point the man was all oh barry i hate this the man was also seen urinating on the floor in the store's pet aisle it's bad enough he's he's peeing on the floor but by god you're doing it in the pet aisle barry that's the kind of stuff that really outrages me what do you think yeah how does somebody do that 
That's disgusting. Know. So Barry Rose, Florida man or not? <sighs> Guy in a motorized wheelchair, motor scooter. It's Walmart. There's urination. This absolutely reeks of Florida. I'm going to say this is a swerve and this is not Florida, uh, but easily could be, of course. Evans, Georgia. I have no idea where Evans, Georgia is. But it's not near, by God, coming Georgia. It's probably the sketchy part of Georgia. All right, Barry. From our friends at the New York Post, though not necessarily a New York story, Barry Rose, the headline. I mentioned the New York Post, bastion of journalistic integrity. Barry Rose, a real cliffbanger. Couple caught having sex on the Uh edge of a cliff. Barry Rose, have you ever had carnal relations on the edge of a cliff? No, never. Okay. So the uh, story goes on. They were loving on the edge. Ah, a little Aerosmith reference there, Barry. Yeah. Kind of cute. Huh? The couple took Very their love cute. life to new heights while having sex on a cliff in full view of restaurant diners. Eh, nothing like that to go with your meal, huh? I mean, maybe uh, people had some oysters or something and just decided to head to the cliff. A clip of the steamy seaside sexcapade. That's some quality writing there, Barry. The steamy seaside sexcapade. That's the kind of quality journalism you don't see anymore. It's currently blowing up online. An unnamed onlooker, on, on liquor, an unnamed <laughs> onlooker who filmed the cliffhangers said, quote, I was pretty shocked, to be fair. I was just amazed. The camera person was reportedly dining at the Hooked on the Rocks restaurant when they noticed the high altitude hanky panky session. Again, very, very good wordsmith here on the bluff opposite the eatery. An elderly couple turned to me and said there was some live entertainment going on behind us, the videographer described. So Barry Rose, Florida man or not? This one is, well, not a lot of cliffs, though, in the state of Florida, which makes me think that it could be somewhere else. However, based off the last one being George, I'm going to say this one is in Florida. Foul mouth Cornwall. We're in the UK. Shout out to our friend John Lee, who hasn't been mentioned in about, oh, 12 episodes or so. Uh, Cornwall, I don't know if that's close to John Lee, but uh, if it is, John, we're going to expect some uh, high-quality journalism for you to find out what the hell's going on in Cornwall, my friend. Barry Rose, the next story coming to us, the headline. Let's see. uh, This is courtesy of TheEagle.com, another fine bastion of uh, media. Uh, Tractor-trailer driver, totals rigged, pickup, Behind a, a Publix, buried the quote, I was smoking my meth pipe. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Delivery driver is facing a host of charges after admitting to smoke smoking methamphetamine. And not just meth, methamphetamine, Barry, uh-huh. before crashing into the back of a Publix. According to police, he was making delivery the back of the shopping center when his truck tore on an awning off the, tore it off the building and hit an unoccupied pickup truck. So, Barry, here you're making your delivery to Publix. Fine eatery, fine grocery store, and uh, you're pulling in to deliver your food wares while you're uh, smoking a little meth. What do you think, Bear? Yeah, that's uh, what yeah, I would say. Sounds sure. like uh, you know your ordinary story. Barry, Florida man or not? <sighs> this one is Florida. This one, Haynes City. Barry, how <laughs> close are we to Haynes City from Lutz? Haynes City from Lutz would be 60 minutes. Okay, so yeah, we are very, very close. And, uh, you know, anyway, so uh, Barry, I believe this might be our final story here, Barry. Uh-oh. The headline, uh, Barry, the AP, Associated Press, high-quality journalism. Oh, yeah. The headline reads, Barry Rose, sonic workers flee from a large snake found behind the fryer. Okay. 
instead of your fries, your tater tots, you're getting a little, you're getting a little snake in there. Maybe a large snake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Workers cooking burgers and tater and tater tots at a Sonic fast food kitchen. By the way, you like Sonic Perry? Yeah, you know, good eh. slushies. Actually, the drinks, right? Yes, like that the cherry drinks are lime quite cake. excellent. The food, yeah, eh, not so much. Eh. Uh, fled after discovering an intruder hiding behind the deep fryer. Police found employees of the Sonic Drive-in huddled in the parking lot. They're not even inside the restaurant anymore, but they're still huddled, Barry. <laughs> when they arrived to investigate last Saturday on the phone, they described the culprit as brown with diamonds on its back. When I saw, I could tell that it was a ball python and not a rattlesnake, the police said. He not only removed the large, non-venomous snake, but he also found a new home with a friend who has a large terrarium with a fondness for a snake. Is this Jeff Gardner? Uh, the Abuda Dean went up to take care of this snake here? So anyway, Barry Rose, Florida man or not. So you got a large snake. It's the state of Florida, which, interesting, the last time we were in Lutz, I was walking Ozzy, and there was a snake out in the grass as I was walking Ozzy that somebody alerted me to. Uh, Did Ozzy alert alert you to it or was it somebody else? No, no. Thank God it it was was uh, somebody else. It wasn't Ozzy. He didn't. I don't think he even ever even saw it. Uh, I'm going to say this one is not Florida. I'm going to say this one. This is a uh, deadly snake. It's a large deadly snake. Obviously could be a lot of different states. Wasn't Florida though. Very, it's a very close call here because this occurred in oh. Brunswick, Georgia, just across the state line from Florida wow. in Georgia. But technically, I'll give it to you. You were correct. So it's a Sonic in Brunswick. Yes. Wow. Who knew there was a Sonic in Brunswick, Georgia, Barry? That's a, you yeah. know, crazy, crazy things. Uh, Barry, I was wrong. We do have one more story. Okay. This is this is your kind of story because it involves a restaurant. Are you ready? Woman is bar hero after calmly grabbing and removing a possum that had wandered (laughs) inside. That's the headline, Barry, a seemingly fearless patron, uh, not Patreon patron said it was no big deal because she grew up in Alaska. Possum walked into the bar. It sounds like the setup for a joke, but it's actually the setup for a story, the story that made Sarah Fulton, a local celebrity from what she did Thursday night. That's where she's known as a hero for saving all the terrified bar goers from a terrifying Awesome. I was outside hanging out with a friend outside the bar. The door opened up, and then all these people, we see this critter run in, and they said, is it a dog? Is it a rat? We both look. I said, that's too big to be a rat. It has to be a possum. This is quality stuff, Barry. Video shows her grabbing a possum by the scruff. She walks out the bar and sends the, uh, good writing here, Barry, the mischievous marsupial on its way. No muss, no fuss. That's a quote from the article, Barry. No muss, no fuss. So Barry Rose, Florida man or Florida woman or not. Yeah. And this easily, again, possums are everywhere in the state of Florida. I'm going to say this one is Florida. Barry Rose prepared to be shocked. Okay. This story, Brooklyn, New York, possums running around Brooklyn. What the F Barry? Large sewer rats, right? The old well, bad news, yeah. Coage, bad news, Allen, or whatever his name I, was, I bad news, what. Brown. Yeah. So, Barry, now we've gotten to the point. It's time to talk a little match of the week. Oh, Barry, it's the Funker as we go to Memphis, Tennessee, April 25th, 1981. Terry Funk versus Jerry Lawler. Empty arena. All hell is fixing to break loose. The only people in the arena other than uh, the King and the Funker were a cameraman and Lance Russell, Barry. Take it from there. What'd you think? 
Yeah, I, I remember when this match first aired, and I got to tell you, I mean, <clears throat> Terry Funk, obviously, we've talked about him. You and I are both in agreement. He, he's probably my second favorite wrestler of all time. But with that being said, I, I think he's probably the greatest professional wrestler based off of what he accomplished. Here was a guy that was in his 50s and working ECW, completely changed his style, and here he is now doing moonsaults at 50 years old, which is actually, yeah, it's incredible. And look, Terry Funk is a lifer for professional wrestling, always has been a lifer. And I respect that. Here was a guy that loved the business. And this is not a guy that ever came and and dialed it in and, you know, phoned it in and, and just went on fumes every night. Every time I saw Terry Funk and I saw Terry live for so many years, he always entertained. He always delivered every single night. And this match is no exception. And this match had the potential if it wasn't, say, Terry Funk or Jerry Lawler, but especially Funk, this match could have stunk, right? Like it could have just. It's there. And look, we were talking with Fumi on the uh, on the Patreon episode, and, and I, I made that comment about the uh, the island match between Inoki and Saito. And I said it was terrible. And he corrected me. And I what what I should have said was what a horrifically boring match that was, because that's what it was. This match with the wrong participants could have been terrible. However, the genius of Terry Funk elevates this to something that we've never seen before. And the commentary, my eye, my My eye, eye, my eye. eye. It's, you know, he's everything he does is just so perfect. And look, this is 40 years ago at this stage, right? Like 40 years ago. I remember seeing this when it aired on television and, and just how great this was. So, uh, I, I love this match. I I'll still watch this occasionally. It's, uh, Again, I think the genius, I think Lawler for recognizing that that Funk was the right guy with this. But then Terry Funk, Terry Funk for delivering every single time. And the match itself is what the match is. It's not like, you know, you're not going to. But the performance, the singular performance by Terry Funk in this match, it's something that you've just got to see. So my only complaint, and this is a very slight one about this match, uh, is You've got this sort of, I don't know, is this a blow-off match, Barry? What do you think? At least for this? I think it, I think it was a temporary blow-off match. Okay. Yeah. So if you're going to have a blow-off match and these guys, uh, nobody is in the building, we're just going to go beat the fuck out of one another. And they're showing up and they're wearing wrestling trunks. And, and, and Lawler right. comes in wearing the cape and the crown and all that. Uh, to me, when I saw that, it initially took away some of the seriousness of the event. You know, I think if he came in and, and they're both wearing, you know, uh, jeans and, and, and boots and, uh, you know, nothing else, but you know, the fact you're wearing your can, I get it. You're the king of wrestling. Okay. You've got the Cape, you've got the crown, but it's not like you were appearing in front of a crowd in Memphis that expected to see you walk in wearing that there's nobody else besides you, Terry, the cameraman and Lance, you know? And so I don't know why you're, you feel the need to walk in with all the, you know, it just, it didn't make it, that part didn't make any sense. Now, that being the only complaint, if that's the only complaint about the match, uh, that's an extremely minor complaint. I just want to point that out as something I noticed because the performance here, especially, I mean, Jerry Lawler is fine in this. He, you know, if you're going to give a hundred percent credit for this match, eh, 20% to Jerry Lawler, would that be fair bear? Yeah, I would say 20%, yeah, but 80% of this is the fucking Terry Funk show. You know, it's him, uh, you know, uh, 
getting it. They get into it. He plays the cowardly chicken shit heel. Then he plays the bully. He's running the whole friggin' gamut of emotions uh, while he's working. And then after he gets injured and, you know, it's like, hey, Lance, I need a doctor. Give me a doctor. I wanna, I'm going to lose my eye. And he, oh, my God, he's so brilliant in what he's doing. And I think you're 100% right, Barry. Well, check. Thank you. Uh, and that I don't know that there was anyone else in the wrestling business <laughs> that could have done this role. What do you think? No, I don't no? think there, especially at that stage, there was nobody that was capable at the level of Terry Funk to make an empty arena match interesting. And you and I always talk about it, Jeff. The crowd is so important. We need to have the crowd. You need to have the the buzz, the energy of the people in the audience. And this is uh, this is a recipe for, in my opinion, a recipe for failure. Uh, Terry Funk, though, it's a literal little it, giving Jerry Lawler 20 percent credit is probably fair, but it really is a one man show. This is the Terry Funk show. Yeah. So we will post a link to this match in our uh, Facebook group break and Kayfabe Facebook pattern and Barry. Uh, so you guys can check this out if you haven't seen it. And, you know, even if you have <laughs> seen it before, I can tell you that when I came across this, I was like, wow, I probably haven't watched this match in 20 years. And it's fun to take a look back at it because. Let's be honest. This, this is not a, a Masao versus Kobashi where you're going to need to invest 45 to an hour. Uh, you know, this is a quick, easy view. Funk's commentary while he's waiting for Lawler to get to the building. Where, where is he? Is he a chicken shit, Lance? Is he a coward? Is he gutless? Is just and, and Lance is like Terry. Terry, we we want to record this. Please, please don't be cursing. And and then he begins. You know, where is he, Lance? And uh, I I don't know, Terry. You know, Lance is just and maybe. We should mention, Lance, this is the kind of thing that Lance does so well, because quite frankly, as much as you and I love Gordon solely, I don't know that Gordon could have made this work, because Gordon was all about the more serious stuff and, and selling it as a sporting event. The whole, just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, not carnival or circus-like atmosphere of an empty arena match, that's where that's where Lance really thrived, Bear. That yeah, and look, Lance Lance really was the perfect guy for Memphis, and it's much like Gordon in Florida, uh, Lance in Memphis, who I would say are probably the two best. Lance was the right guy to be doing this as well. Yeah. So before we go down the old home stretch, Barry, rounded from special mention to you, the listener that I forgot about, we're gonna also offer you Barry, our top moments from The Godfather, and one or two. Which one you like, Barry? Oh shit. That's a, okay. there's not a wrong answer on there's that, not this being Friday. I'll say part two, I think is a better film. The part one is absolutely incredible. And next Friday, it'll be part the first part. Of course. Yeah. And that's the way it is. So, uh, but here we have our top moments from the Godfather and the Godfather series. We hope you enjoy it and take it away, Lou. Okay. Barry, now we're ready to do the old go home. What do you say, my man? Yeah, what a, this has been an action-packed episode. Let's see, Travis Raines, Michael Herrick, Mark Hurtwick, the Professor Pete Letterberg. We've got Godfather. we got Lebowski. we got Terry Funk. What did we miss on this episode, Jeff? You didn't mention that Ozzy's sitting right next to you. Ozzy no, is. So. Oz, what are you doing, he, buddy? He's a good boy. He's a good he boy. Is a, he's the best boy. No, Gunny, uh, I would argue. Oh, all right, all right. Oh, let me try this. Uh, uh, Ozzy. Ozzy. Go get him, Oz. Go get Come Jeff. Here, buddy. Go get him. Come here. Go get him. There Come he comes. Well, until then, I will remind you that Breaking Gay Fade with Bowdrin and Barry is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. On behalf of our producer, Lou Kippelman, out in the city by the bay, performing <laughs> above and beyond. And we owe Lou a, a, a chocolate cake uh, milkshake. What do you think, Bear? 
Yeah, we own two. Absolutely. So, and uh, my co-host Barry Rose and uh, Barry's best boy Ozzy sitting next to me, uh, accepting the pats on the head for me. I am your host Jeff Bowder, and sometimes they call me the Booker. It is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. <laughs>